After squeaking out a high-scoring win in Detroit, the Seattle Seahawks lost a shootout in New Orleans, falling 39-32 to the Saints and slipping to 2-3 on the season. With a divisional showdown against the Cardinals up next, what direction is this team really headed in? Joining us to discuss that and a whole lot more is KJR's Chuck Powell. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my lovely producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing great, doing fantastic, very fine, very okay, not emotionally scarred at all. I don't know why you would ask me that. How are you, Jackson? Uh, I'm I'm good, man. Uh, obviously, referring to the Mariners game yesterday. Mariners I, uh, game. It's October. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the Chuck and I were just discussing before the show, dealing with with that loss, and I, I gave myself an hour to uh, lean into it, hurt, process it, but. Now I'm feeling good. Castillo tomorrow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It feels nice to, at the very least, know that the Mariners belong in postseason baseball. So I'll take what I can get and look forward to another day. Absolutely. But we are not here to talk about that. We are not. We're here to talk a little football. And I guess this is just who the Seahawks are now. I mean, I get things getting out of hand against Detroit because the Lions games are the highest scoring in the NFL by far. But the Saints have been a good defense slash middling offense team this season. And we still saw over 70 points. I think that it's really generous of Pete Carroll uh, and company to just try to uncork the most chaotic fantasy football matchup that you possibly could like just anybody who has tj hawkinson in week four automatic winner anybody who has Taysom hill week five automatic (laughs) winner we're gonna get like a zach Ertz 50 point game coming up this (laughs) weekend and i'm just preemptively disgusted about it you know you know benjamin's gonna be rb1 on the week yeah yeah exactly it's it's gonna be gross but i mean look man the sample size grows and gino keeps genoing I, I think it. that uh, you know we can we can start to get a little more spicy and a little more valid with the takes, you know, just get them off. <sighs> we're if flirting you can. with it, man. We're flirting with it, and and I think we're something tells me we're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. It was a rough loss for sure, <laughs> you know. I mean, it was tough. I I thought that they had that one after Ken Walker busted the big one, but. We've kind of yet to see oil and water separate in the NFC West. Every team in the division is either three and two or two and three. So the Seahawks season still feels like it can kind of go either way. Sitting down to chop that up with us, along with a bunch of other stuff, is the host of Chuck and Buck in the Morning on KJR Sports Talk Radio. He is one of the staples of Seattle sports media, and he's gracious enough to join us today. He is Chuck Powell. Chuck, thanks for stopping by. Oh, gentlemen, I don't know. Uh, what a fast start. You guys have uh, pretty much laid the groundwork for an outstanding broadcast here today. That's good <laughs> stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for Rondale Moore to go for 248 yards oh uh, on Sunday. <laughs> it's going to happen, too. This is going to be the week that Cliff Kingsbury finally figures it out. Right. And yet we win right. 66-63 in overtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah as long as we get a couple of missed field goals in there oh my god uh, i just i feel like every every cardinals game gets ugly especially the ones in seattle so we'll we'll see we'll see if gino's got the cure for that but i, I do we're getting jump- three to three i don't remember that. i don't think we're gonna get that one <laughs> six three what was it six three yeah yeah, it it might, man. I don't know if we can ever do worse than that six six tie. So he yeah, that's what it was. More than that, uh, but I do I do want to jump right into that Saints game. You know, it was another absolute boat race. Both teams just exchanging touchdowns all game long. The last couple of games are such a far cry from what we're used to with Seattle. It runs so counter to what many of our expectations were. That it's kind of hard to know if what we're seeing over the last two three weeks is real or an aberration. What stood out to you the most on Sunday? I think it's a, I mean, I mean there are two storylines going on with the Seahawks right now, and that is the surprise play of Geno Smith and us trying to figure out what it is that we have, not just for now, but now are we having to consider Geno Smith the future uh, mm-hmm. of the Seahawks? And then the other aspect uh, is just what you just touched upon. How on earth, how on earth could a Pete Carroll team have the worst defense 
that we've ever seen in NFL history. Because I'm not sure we're not watching the worst defense in NFL history. I mean, you can't give up 253 yards to the New Orleans Saints. I realize Alvin Kamara is a good player, uh, but the, there isn't a team in North America, high school, college, or pro, that hasn't figured out how to defend the Wildcat, except the Seahawks. Like it's already outdated. It's like outdated by like nine years. Tony Sperano was the last guy that effectively used the Wildcat. And, and here we are, we roll in against the New Orleans uh, Saints on Sunday. They go into the Wildcat. I'm sitting there on my couch. I'll bring that on. That's a, that's second and nine. Here we go. Uh, And instead they used it all game long as effectively as any team I've ever seen use it. And I get that Hill has the potential to throw out of that, but why would you even be concerned with Taysom Hill's throwing ability at that stage? Um, It is remarkable, like stunning how bad they are at stopping the run. And if you can't stop the run, you, you pretty much can't stop anything in football. And that's where they are. And I never thought Jackson that the, a Pete Carroll team would get to this point where they would be that easy to score on. No, I I don't either. And it brings up a question that I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. You know, I've been wondering how much credit do we give Pete Carroll for how well the offense is doing and how much blame do we put on him for how poorly the defense is? Because the kind of agreement we've always had to make with ourselves with Pete Carroll is this is going to be a defensive minded coach. So expect to have an above average defense and then hope that the offense and for the last number of years, really Russell Wilson can do enough, um, you know, to complement that in a winning way. And they did for a while, even post LOB, you know, they're scraping their way to 10 wins a season, which is nothing to scoff at. But now, I mean, there's no, it's not like they're a middling defense or a little bit below average. They are, like you said, as bad as we've seen, honestly, like, Mm -hmm maybe ever is Pete wearing that one uh well he he's always bristled at that we're not a bend but don't break defense yeah you were and we miss it uh, because that that's you know forcing teams into field goals is is better than what we're seeing uh at this stage of the of the game but i i mean offensively they have the pieces. I, I thought I kind of laughed when people were saying that Russell was moving on to better weapons in Denver. I'm like, yeah. no. Uh, DK yeah. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett are as a great combo at wide receiver. Um, Penny showed some promise last year, and Walker, who I really liked at draft time, uh, gives you another weapon. And then you brought Fant over from that Denver team. So There are weapons, and obviously the tackles have outperformed what we expected, um, at least right out of the chute. I mean, I think I liked the draft of Cross and Lucas. I wasn't expecting them to be this effective this soon. So I think the pieces are there offensively. The only question mark was how does Geno Smith make this thing go, and he's made it go. And I think he's made it go because he's pouring within the system, which I'm not sure now that we have more evidence in the big Russell Wilson picture, I, I, I'm not sure Russell was ever effectively operating within the system. And I think maybe that was driving Pete Carroll and every offensive coordinator that he had nuts where Gino is basically like, I'll, I'll give you what you're looking for. He's on time. He's accurate. He's effective. He's efficient. He's giving us what they want out of the position going forward. But did you somehow sacrifice the defensive success, the defensive acumen of Pete Carroll along the way? Or did you just misassess the talent? Daryl Taylor was supposed to be a star. He's a detriment this year. I mean, yeah, he has been. how, how, why? Um, it, it was the adjustment from 4-3 to the 3-4 wrinkle really that confusing for everyone. But Nobody has stepped up their game. Jordan Brooks, I think, has slid back. Barton looks lost out there on the football field. You got Al Woods, and then you got the two, and then you got Tariq Woolen, and 
Kobe Bryant started to play a little better in the last couple of weeks. But when the season started, were we thinking, oh, you know what this defense could be? A nose tackle and two rookie corners. You know, yeah. it, <laughs> instead, we, you know, we're waiting for the guys we were expecting to take that step forward. And really, none of them had. And it, and it, none of the marquee positions on the football field, with the exception of Woolen playing out there at corner. Yeah, you know, I, every week in the article, I try and highlight some defensive standouts, and those have been pretty <laughs> short, pretty short sections this year. You yeah. know, I mean, Inchenna and Wosu has been a revelation. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been begging for on defense are impact plays. Like it's yeah. it's cool to look at the top of the tackles standings and see Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks at number one and number two, but those aren't you know, those aren't the stats you're trying to lead the league in. That just no. means you can't get off the field. I want to see sacks. I want to see turnovers. And, you know, we are seeing them blitz a little bit more, not having a lot of success with it, but they're picking their spots with that a little bit more than they have in the past. And they are forcing turnovers. They forced eight turnovers, which I think is uh, tied for seventh in the NFL right now, but they're just giving up so many points. And so before we dig into that kind of stuff on a little bit more granular level, I just want to bring it back to let's, Let's play this out where let's, you know, water is going to find its level to some degree. Let's say this offense finishes, you know, they've been like a top five efficiency, but let's say they finish 10th to 12th and the defense ends up somewhere in that 25th to 28th range by the end of the season. How would you feel about moving forward with Pete Carroll if that's how things shake out? Uh, I, I don't think because of the ownership structure that his job is at risk. Um, but if you have a, I mean, this, look, I, I, I'll pull it this way. I went into this season thinking it was a rebuild uh, and not buying when Pete says we're not rebuilding. So I go into the season thinking that it's a rebuild. I think this is the season where you spend the year identifying the pieces you're going to build around going forward. So I, I'm not scared of a rebuild. I realize that 97% of fans hate that word, but I think it's a necessary evil. I think the step back is what gets you back on the road toward a championship. I don't like, I don't like living on the island of mediocrity. Uh, I would rather swim for a, you know, I'd dive into the ocean and swim for another shore. Uh, and so I, I, I think it was time for a rebuild. I would call it a rebuild. And during the rebuild, you're trying to identify the pieces that you're going to build around going forward. Um, and some of those pieces, you know, that we were discussing, Daryl Taylor, where is he? Jordan Brooks, I thought played a lot better this week, but he's, he's taken a little bit of a step back this season. That was supposed to be a piece. Looks like we've got some offensive uh, pieces there. But if we've gotten to the point where Pete and John can't identify that young talent or can't coach it up, I think under normal circumstances, their jobs are on the line this year. Um, and the two and three, you, you figure out a way to be mediocre defensively in a bad NFC um, where I think an eight and nine team could make the playoffs this year that, you, you know, maybe you find yourself in playoff contention before the year comes to a close. I think they got a shot to beat the Cardinals uh, this week and even up their record uh, at three and three on the year. But the main objective in 2022 for me was identify pieces that help sculpt your future and get you back on a championship road. I'm not interested in backing into a wild card spot. Um, I'm, uh, I'm all about trying to find that foundation to build off of, but how many foundational pieces um, are we counting on at this point? I mean, there's some offensive pieces and there's the draft, which looks like it's been a pretty good draft uh, for this year. But what do we have beyond those two things right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that you see this as a rebuild. You know, the last time you had me on your show, we talked about that. Is it a rebuild? Is it a retooling? And I think one of the things that makes 
the idea of a rebuild so scary is is that you're punting year after year after year in hopes that you can set up some dominoes to then be competitive in four or five years. It's not how it works in the NFL. Nope. This isn't a baseball rebuild where you have to uh, restock a farm system and hope that your minor league coaches can get them ready for the show and all of that kind of thing. I mean, it can happen very, very fast. We see it every year. There's three teams that we thought would be really good that end up stinking. There's three teams that no one was paying attention to that end up making the playoffs. It happens every single year and it can happen quickly. You know, I think about the Dallas Cowboys a couple years ago, highest scoring team or one of the highest scoring teams, in the NFL defense couldn't stop anybody. It was very similar to how Seattle's playing football right now. Well, the next draft, they used every goddamn pick they had on the defense, every single one. And now they're a top five defense. Yeah. I mean, they had to identify the right players. Right. They got Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs, and they filled in the gaps really, really well. But they are now a defensive team. That is really, really scary. So that happened in a year and a half. And I think that if you can solidify what you've got on offense, which all these players that we're talking about, with the exception of Tyler Lockett and Gino, I suppose, but you know, the shelf life on quarterbacks isn't as short, they're all young. You know, you mentioned the tackles, they're rookies. DK Metcalf's 24. I think he might've just yeah. turned 25. Yeah. Uh, Ken Walker is 21 years old. You see foundational pieces on that yeah. side. And this could be a one-year turnaround. I, I don't think Pete Carroll has the patience or inclination to do more than a one-year diagnosis, figure out what groceries we need to shop for type of thing. And they, you know, we've talked a lot about it. They've got the budget to go address all of that. Uh, this offseason, whether it be through the draft or spending free agency money. I think the thing that continues to bother me more than anything else is the penalties. Um, there were there were some bad ones that really hurt the Seahawks in, in this last game. Uh, you had the phantom hold on Charles Cross that took away DK's second touchdown. You had the ghost defensive holding against Tariq Woolen that wiped out a third down stop. But there were a lot of penalties that were legit against them. And just like they have in so many seasons under Pete Carroll, they find themselves leading the NFL and penalties committed. They're leading the NFL and penalty yards against. And if it was just this year, I could blame it on the youth. If it was just this year, but it's not just this year. Well, you also can live with it if the style you play is so aggressive and that aggression is so yeah. effective that, you know, we don't want to take the sting out of the bee. You know, we don't want to take the stinger out of Richard Sherman. We don't want Cam Chancellor to not hit people hard. We'll take a penalty from Earl Thomas if it makes the next guy coming across the middle, you know, gator arm the next catch. So I always think about Michael Bennett, right? Like you're going to get yeah half a dozen offsides calls against him, but that's also how he wins, right? Is is he'll guess? Yeah, and he guesses right more often than not. But when and you it, but when you're yeah. not effective, now those penalties. Now you're just you're begging to get off the field, <laughs> and if you're allowing teams to get first downs when you're not being that terrifying effective defense, when you're the worst statistical defense in the National Football League, you can't live in both of those worlds. You cannot be the most penalized on top of it um, because you're never going to get off the field. Um, I, I do want to talk though about uh, what you were, your, your commentary from earlier, because you're absolutely right uh, about a, a rebuild in the National Football League. If you're good at it, you should be able to do it in two years. I mean, you should be winning by the second year. So let's call it a year and a half. Baseball, it's three to five. And as frustrated as Mariner fans were with rebuilding again, they did that in three years. I mean, they were a playoff contender a year ago. A little surprising, but they did it in, in three years. And so this was three and a half year playoff team within the three and a half year. The Atlanta Braves did it in two and a half years. Um, an exceptional rebuild on their part. The Houston Astros, as great as their rebuild was, took the full five years to get where they are. That's baseball. The National Football League, if you're worth a damn as an organization, you take your one year of rebuilding and then you play off contend the following year. You know, if you're not, if you're not that effective, uh, then you've got the wrong guys calling the shots in terms of personnel. And so 
Um, that's why I wasn't scared at all. That's why I was certain that this was the time for the rebuild. And I think John Schneider kind of reinvigorated himself because he had not been having great drafts as of late. And this year's looks like a great draft. I think it they does are, look like a great abs- draft. It does. And I think they're absolutely on track to next year. You know, we should be talking about playoff, a playoff team, not just especially, yeah. especially with the division that I thought yeah. was going to be the best in the NFL looking pretty vulnerable. I mean, I'm, I'm sure McVay will get things figured out in Los Angeles, but they got holes on that team and they don't have the type of capital in the draft that Seattle does. They don't have the type Once of money. Once they go to spend. down, they're going down hard. That that's just it, right? Like they, they have built a, a top heavy house of cards and you know, we're, we're seeing those, those cracks and you know, I, I think they'll be better than they've been, but we don't know what's going on. I think the 49ers top to bottom, you remove quarterback from the equation. I think they got the most talented roster in the NFL. I think Kyle Shanahan is a good X's and O's coach. And they play so hard, man. They are, they play so hard. D'Amico Ryan's has that defense looking like an eighties defense. And you know, I I think they're great, but I have no idea what their quarterback situation is going to look like moving forward. Trey Lance is still a question mark, you know, it'll be year three for him next year. We got, don't know anything about him and the Cardinals are a train wreck. Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, it's it's wild to me that he's still that he's still doing this uh, because he won't be next year. I I can't yeah I I can't see it you know and so the path is there. The NFC has been so much stronger than the AFC for seven eight years in a row. That's not the case anymore. All the best teams are on the other side. So the the path is there. Brady Rogers nearing the end of their careers, presumably they could be in the mix next year. It's just. I mean, let's put some numbers to this defense because this yeah. is what is going to keep them from doing it. Uh, if if it doesn't happen, it will because either because Geno Smith crashes hard back to earth and they don't hit on the next guy or they don't get this defense figured out. They are 31st in the NFL in points allowed, averaging over 30, yard, 30 points a game that they're giving up. Uh, they're allowing the most yards per pass and the fifth most yards per rush. They've allowed more rushing yards than any team in the NFL. Uh, they're not doing anything well. It's like systemically looks broken. Yeah. And how, how did, how did you let that happen? How does a Pete Carroll team let the defense get that bad? Um, I, I really, it's something to ponder for years after he's gone (laughs) because it's not just a one year thing, Jackson. I mean, they've been bad defensively the last few seasons, just not this bad. Right. You know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, does it, does it make you think a little bit? Well, I don't know how you thought about Bobby Wagner. I thought it was time to move on. I was okay with moving on. Yeah. Just, and and it had more to do with the money than anything else. I I don't think he's a $20 million player anymore. And, and for what Seattle's updated timeline is he didn't fit. So I, I get it, but I didn't expect his absence to be felt this strongly. I thought Jordan Brooks would definitely take a step forward. And I think maybe he's confused um, with the new defense. Um, He's not nearly as aggressive. But we saw some of that aggression return this week. I thought that was the best that he played this year was against the Saints. Um, But he now has to be the Bobby Wagner to Barton, who looks lost. Totally. And so it's easier to be the, you know, to be, to Bobby be, have all the responsibilities and you just go play with your hair on fire. And now he's having to be the responsible guy. And I think it's taken away from his playmaking ability. And so that's, I, I he either has, he's either has to get another running mate or you got to go back to the way that he was playing a year ago, which is not the mic. It's playing, you know, it's, it's, it's playing outside. It's playing that outside linebacker position that he played so effectively a year ago. Well, and, and the further away from the ball you get, the higher the variance in performance. And if you're not getting production close to the ball, it makes it really hard. I mean, the, I don't, you can look at all the best secondaries in the NFL. They all got pass rush too, you know, and 
when Seattle isn't forcing the issue on the opposing quarterback, it puts so much pressure on those guys to be in the right spot at the right time. And they're just, they're just not getting any help up front. Um, there's nobody for opposing quarterbacks to really be scared of. They don't have to double anybody and they don't have to pull any running backs or tight ends out of their routes to help in pass protection. I mean, these are the things that don't show up in the box score that are so valuable. And if Seattle can't generate any pressure, then there's just, that's an extra half second or a second that everybody has to stay with an NFL caliber weapon that they're trying to guard. And that's a huge ask 60 times a game. I don't remember the numbers uh, exactly, so I probably shouldn't repeat this story. But Hugh Millen, who comes on with us at KJR, did the research yeah, I love on you. this. Uh, and if I remember it correctly, and forgive me if I'm not giving the exact numbers, but it'll at least illustrate the point. NFL teams will score 32% of the time when they are not sacked during the drive. But then you add one sack to that equation and that drops all the way down to 14%. Oh my God. And then if you add two sacks, you're going all the way down to 8%. So when people tell you at draft time, you have to get pass rushers, you have to get edge rushers. The sack of a sack of a quarterback on a drive, it also emphasizes the value or importance of not being penalized as well. But when people say target an edge rush, you got to have pass rush. You got, we're talking, it's not just lip service. That is drive changing. That is game changing to have those pass rushers. And we have not really been a sack team for years now. No. Um, since Bennett and Averill were in the starting lineup was the last time that we were a good quarterback sacking team. And this year we were, I mean, we had the conversations getting back to Daryl Taylor, like we've got a double digit sack guy and Daryl Taylor this year. And he did not shy away from all of that praise at the beginning of the year. And now he has one this year, if I'm not mistaken. And he lucked into that. It was a total coverage sack. It took him forever. He either did the loop-de-loop around the, uh, you know, the blocker and eventually brought down a quarterback. Probably shouldn't even have counted as a sack. Uh, and that's it out of him. And, and so, you know, the value of that play, the value of quarterback pressure is immense. It's as important as having a great quarterback on offense is having a pass rush on defense. And the Seahawks have not had one now, Jackson, in years. And this year, you know, it, it doesn't feel any better. It doesn't feel any improved, more improved and maybe there's a talent in Mafe, but we felt that way about Taylor the previous year. So, again, who are the guys that we are identifying to build this pass rush around? Do we have any at this point? Because they are absolutely essential to success. No question. I mean, I think it is the single most important set of skills that you can have in the modern NFL on defense is the ability to get to the quarterback. And, and you're right. The, the cupboard is bare for Seattle there right now. You know, as fans, I think we have a tendency to write our opinions in wet cement, but I think in the NFL, they're really written in sand. I mean, it can change quickly. We see teams adapt and learn over the course of a season, over the course of a month, over the course of a bye week we see it all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the NFL is the world's fastest learning organism and <laughs> injuries and bye weeks are going to happen that shake things up. So, I mean, I'm not saying that it can't get better, but it doesn't seem like there's a clear path to it getting better yet, which is a little disconcerting. Good news is on the other side, they're absolutely killing it. I mean, yeah. they, it is them, the chiefs and the bills when it comes to the most efficient offenses in the NFL, which is absolutely bananas to think about. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> the number one offense in DVOA in Seattle right now. Geno Smith is pro football Focus's top rated quarterback. He's leading the NFL, not only in raw completion percentage, but in CPOE, which is completion percentage over expectations. He's second in yards per pass. He's second in passer rating. Uh, and, and let's start there. I mean, is this the real deal? <sighs> uh, it would, it's an about face 
for nearly everyone in this market, and not just our market, I mean, because the national guys were harder on Gino than we were locally. Yes. Um, I went on several different radio shows nationally where the conversation, it was me telling them that the Seahawks are not going to be the worst team in the National Football League this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were the conversations. They were, there was open laughter about Geno Smith being the starting quarterback. And even during the Smith-Lock quarterback battle that was supposed to take place at training camp, most of the people were in the Drew Locke camp, and I would throw myself into that group. Um, so to say that we're stunned at what we've seen from Geno Smith, I think is a pretty accurate assessment of the entire marketplace. I'm sure there's some outliers. I'm sure there are some exceptions. Geno Smith has always had the ability. I mean, he was projected as a first-round draft pick coming out of college. The only reason that he wasn't taken in the first round was because of leadership stuff. They weren't sure if he was the, the leader. So he slipped to the second round and still was thought of as a possible opening day starter. So what does that tell you? He's always had the talent. He's always had the arm strength. He's got the size. He's got a little more athletic ability. It's really funny that people like what? Losing Russell's athletic ability, Gino can run. Gino yeah. can move. Gino can. Gino can. He run. certainly looks more mobile now than Russell Wilson looks now. Yeah, he's not going. Yeah, he's not going to make the the crazy plays that we used to see Russell make. But he is certainly somebody that has athletic ability uh, as a quarterback. And then, uh, and then the arm, the arm strength has always been there. Uh, but what we're seeing is the decision-making, the ability to make plays within the structure of the offense. These are things we haven't seen in a while. And all of a sudden, we're sitting here asking ourselves, okay, well, wait a minute. We seem to have a pretty good quarterback right now. He's 32 years old. He's a free agent at the end of the year. If you're going to keep him based off what you've seen this year, he's going to get a monstrous pay raise to be a starting quarterback. He does not have the mileage that other 32-year-old quarterbacks because he's been a career backup. And we've seen plenty of guys, Rich Gannon, Jim Plunkett, uh, Brad Johnson, over the years that have hit their groove late in their career and have gone on to be Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks uh, in their career. Is this one of those guys? That suddenly becomes the question that we have to identify and we've got to solve before the end of this season. And it, you know, totally honest, it wasn't anything that I was even contemplating. No. If Geno Smith was going to get the job, Geno Smith got the job because Drew Locke's not ready. But there was nothing about me that thought, okay, if Geno beats out Drew, you know, my feeling was we're drafting a quarterback next year with all those draft picks that we received. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. And that's the quarterback of the future. So I'm watching college football right now to find and yeah. identify the next Seahawks quarterback. Is it him? Are we really it might be. It's, it's crazy, you know, because like you, you mentioned that just, you're just starting to think about it in these terms. And, and I was too, you know, last week was really the first time that we talked about, it. I mean, Mike was probably sick of hearing me say for months that <laughs> I'm sick whoever of wins that. I'm sick of it. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> you've only got six years left of indentured servitude to me. So yes, you're almost, yes. you're, you're almost so through, close. Buddy. We're so close. Are you, are you like Davy Jones but, locker. Maybe Tom Donald Brady will retire by then. <laughs> but I mean, how many times did I say, you know, it doesn't really matter who wins the quarterback battle this year. Cause they're not going to be the starter in 2023. Yeah. So just let them have at it, you know? And then that started to change a little bit in the preseason where Geno Smith just looked better and, Everything that you're hearing out of camp was that he was the guy and he was ready. And, and so, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Who gives a shit? But then just last week, we had Mina Kimes on and we started discussing, is Geno Smith the guy? And so my question to you, Chuck, is right now, I mean, we've got three months of football to let this shake out. Mm -hmm. This We could look back on this and laugh. Remember we were talking about giving Geno Smith a big yeah. contract extension? Because I do want the team to be thinking in terms of, can we win a Super Bowl with this guy? I don't I don't want to be stuck in the Andy Dalton zone where this guy is good enough to take a good roster to 11 wins and lose in the first right. round of the playoffs. We, right. We've been down that road. It's it's fine, but it gets old quick. 
what percentage chance right now do you put on Geno Smith being the opening day starter for Seattle in 2023? Uh, I'm going to put it at 25%. And that seems low, but it was zero for me at the beginning uh-huh. of the year. So uh, I, that's, that's a big leap. And we're still operating in small sampleville. You know, that, that's yep. where we're at right now. As good as he's looked, um, we're still talking about the San Francisco 49ers made him look terrible. We're still yep. talking about until last week, he hadn't, he hadn't led a second half touchdown drive uh, mm-hmm. until the Lions game. Um, so there's still some things that, you know, a little couple red flags there, even with how well he's played to this point this season. But he's getting better every week. <laughs> he, he looks better every week. And so let's give the league time to adjust to him. Yes. He's going to see different things the rest of the year. They're now going to fine-tooth comb his quarterback abilities, and they're going to throw different looks at him the rest of the season. He has more tests to pass before I'm going to jump that number up over 50%. Totally for, agree. for next season, but I'm giving him a chance where I wasn't at the beginning of the year. I wasn't even last year. I mean, when we were thinking about Geno Smith, like, why are we bringing him back at all? You know, why do we need a career backup if we're rebuilding? Let's pick two young guys, let them battle it out all season long, and then let's go about it that way. So, I mean, to me, it feels like mountains have been moved to get me to the point to say, yeah. I'm going to give him a real solid chance to be the quarterback next year. Absolutely. And I think the thing that's most encouraging for me is it's not a bunch of fluky plays. I mean, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf ranked fifth and 11th respectively in receiving yards in the NFL this year. There's been virtually no drop off in production from the last few years under Russell Wilson. It, it seems to me like there's aspects to this offense under Shane Waldron, under Geno Smith, that are allowing them to win in ways that we're not used to seeing. DK Metcalf especially. I think Tyler Lockett has always had the ability to win short, win medium, win deep. But they are pumping targets DK Metcalf's way on a lot of routes that you just never saw his first three years in the NFL. And I think for me... And why not? Why were we not seeing that? Yeah. 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 You know, like. And now it makes you wonder if Russell couldn't make those throws, if he couldn't see him in those roles. I don't know. I mean, you look at any Russell Wilson heat map from his career, and it is red hot down the seams and outside of them. And ice cold, short middle. And, you know, at some point when that has spread over three different offensive coordinators, it is. It's a quarterback thing. He was so good at the other stuff that, you know, he could still be a top five, top six quarterback in the NFL without taking advantage of the short middle of the field. But defenses knew that and, and they shifted their defenses, you know, their coverages accordingly. They could just bail over the short middle. Now they can't. And DK is seeing a ton of his targets on these slants and shallow crosses and stop routes from the slot, things that we just didn't see before while still, not being afraid to, you know, test the ceiling of the defense with him. It's been really encouraging to see. And it's, it's that kind of thing where, okay, not only is Gino playing really well, he has developed really sharp chemistry with the two most important weapons that he's got. Those throws to lock it someday were two. They were perfection. They were perfection. You could, you could, you could blank out the quarterback on those and tell me that those were, you know, on the video and tell me that those were throws from Russell Wilson at any point in the last 10 years. And I would believe you if all you saw was the actual throw and you couldn't see who was throwing it. Mm -hmm. Those two passes were put into teacups, 40 yards downfield, 40 yards downfield. Yeah. Think about that. Um, Yeah. It's just remarkable. And look, I'm not going to get carried away. I mean, statistically, he ranks among the best in the national football league. I mean, nobody needs to think that, Geno Smith is now or will ever be Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or uh, Justin Herbert. I mean, that's not the road that we're going down with him. But the idea that going back to our previous discussion, if we are truly in a rebuild and just calling it something different and we're trying to identify pieces to a championship team and a championship path, I mean, yes, you want the 
you want the Mahomes, but if you is Geno a championship? Can he be a Super Bowl quarterback? You know, that's what you're trying to identify right yep. now. And you know, what about the thought of using all of that draft capital now on the pieces to fix the defense? Uh, going forward is that an avenue and now we don't have to bundle first and second rounders to move up to the top five to get the quarterback Mm -hmm. choice exactly do you stick with do you stick with the 32 year old with a lot of a lot of uh, tread still on the tires that play is playing as well as he is this year do you stick with him because he's good and he's he's good and he can be a, a super bowl quarterback or do you roll the dice on the stroud or the uh, young in the draft and there's a little bit of a roll of the dice there with with those guys and, and whether or not they could even be as good as what Geno Smith is playing right now so right those are just those are that's suddenly something we got to consider for the next I know six well, months. the cool thing is yeah yeah the cool thing is is there's alternate routes now mm-hmm. you know this is this is not just one country road where this is <laughs> the only way to get to next season like there's arterials available now and you can approach that draft and approach next year's free agency from a lot more different angles. If Gino is still playing this well or something close to it by the end of the season, at least gives you that option, which is exciting. We would be remiss to spend this much time talking about how good the offense has been. If we didn't mention the run game, um, you know, I, Pete Carroll obviously carries the reputation of a guy who wants to run the ball a lot. That hasn't really been the case the last few years. Um, and I think a lot of it, has had to do because he hasn't had running backs with the juice, you know, uh, post Marshawn, they've, they've been trying to find guys that can create explosives in the run game. Hasn't been there till Penny got healthy. And now you've got a rush offense that leads the NFL at five and a half yards per carry. We're five games into it against three really good run defenses in the Broncos, the Niners and the saints. And they're the most effective running team in the NFL. Uh, Rashad Penny has led the NFL in rushing yards over the last nine games. And I mean, I am so much more disappointed about Rashad Penny's injury than I am about them losing that game. He is a guy is so easy to cheer for who has been so vulnerable about how hard the injuries have been on him and feeling like he's letting the team down and letting the fans down to see him really exceed all those expectations to the degree he has has been such a heartwarming part of the last really, you know, 270 or so days. Now his leg's broken. He's out for the season, but setting aside that crushing disappointment for a moment, I think you got to be really excited about what we've seen from Ken Walker so far. Well, he's missed a lot of assignments, um, which is inexcusable. I don't care if you're a rookie or not. Um, Sure. And it's the reason why he hasn't had more touches to this point. Um, I mean, every broadcaster mentions it every game, how much in the pregame Pete Carroll goes on and on and on about Ken Walker and how good he thinks he's going to be. Well, he's got to stay on the field. And the only way to stay on the field, you got to do those little things. You got to know the damn playbook. You got to know the direction that you're going. You got to know whether or not you're going to take a handoff. You got to be able to pass protect a little bit as a running back. And that seems to be something that he's falling short of. And so, but it is strange because when they drafted him, I not only liked the talent, I like the character. I like the makeup. I like the I like the big game qualities that he showed at Michigan State. Yeah. He played his best against the best opponents that yes, he, he faced. Did. And so it's really interesting that here's this guy that has been struggling to stay on the field because of just some boneheaded plays. And then the first carry that he gets when he's now suddenly, instantly, I'm the starting running back now, it looks like. He breaks off a 69-yarder for a touchdown. Yeah. Now, the, the yeah. play was blocked incredibly well. I mean, a lot of sure was. a lot of running backs are going to do that. But it almost felt like, all right, game on. Let's go. And he runs it to the house. I, I am glad because it's easy to get superfluous when you have such an exciting young player pop like that. Um, I'm, so I'm glad you brought up the shortcomings. To me, Ken Walker in that regard is kind of like a pitching prospect who can throw 100 but has trouble hitting the strike zone. You can teach a guy to throw strikes. You can't teach a guy to throw 100 miles an hour. And there's a lot of good running backs who, you know, the reason that the Rex Burkheads and the Carlos Hydes of the world, the Latavius Murrays keep getting jobs is because they don't mess that stuff up, right? They're going to catch the passes you throw to them. They're going to 
identify blitzes and block the right guy. They're going to be where they need to be. But there are so few running backs in the NFL that have the ability to hit a home run from anywhere on the field. And Ken Walker is one of those guys. And so I think the encouraging thing for me is the most important thing that a running back can do is change the game with one or two plays and steal a touchdown that normally wouldn't be there. And he has that. He had it in college and that clearly looks like he's got the ability to translate that to the NFL game. That to me is super exciting, but you're right. It is going to be difficult for him to get the type of snap share that we want to see if by midway through the second quarter, the team's like, fuck, man, we just got to put DJ out there because at least DJ is not going to get Geno killed. Well, I think, yeah, with, without Penny, I him, he's going to get his chances. He, he, you know, yep. even with the mistakes, he's probably going to get his chances. I would change your analogy slightly on the pitching comparison. How dare you? I'm going to. And by the way, I forgot <laughs> that you could cuss on this. You keep like catching me off guard like, oh, man, a wheel. And I, oh, that's right. Shit. Uh, why have I not been doing this? There it is. Let it out, yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, um, the only thing that I would change on it is I think he is the 100-mile-per-hour pitcher that can find the strike zone. What I think he's struggling with right now is, like, fielding his position. It's it's yeah. not as it's not as serious as, yeah, he can throw 100. It's not Luke, Luke Lelouch. He throws 100, but he has no idea where it's going. He knows where he's going, and he can make plays, but – a uh, offense can still rough up a guy that, that has no clue on how to fill this position. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're making bonehead plays left and right, and it's keeping you from being as effective as you should be. How, why would you waste being able to throw a hundred with accuracy because you're not taking you're not taking your pitching drills seriously enough that you are, you know, the pitchers, the catcher's giving you a curveball and you're throwing fastballs because, you know, you, <laughs> you can't even reach. Right. It's the bonehead stuff that he's doing wrong. So there's no excuse for that. I don't care if you're a rookie or not. Fix it. Sure. And we, I think we got, a, I think we got a really special player there. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, one thing that I'm always really sensitive to is young guys getting doghoused. Um, you know, we mentioned Kyle Shanahan earlier that he's, he's old school in that way. You make a mistake, you're out of here. And I think that's a really difficult way to coach up a young player. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not in favor of that type of approach. And, and to your point, that option, it just isn't going to exist yeah. anymore with Rashad Penny out. They're going to have to leave him out there to, to learn on the job. And I think that's good. I will never, ever forget Kareem Hunt fumbling his first NFL carry on Sunday night football, his first game with Andy Reed and Andy Reed put him right back out there, a rookie on opening day and gave him the ball on the next play. And he finished with 240 yards and three touchdowns in that game. Hmm. And the Did fumble he lead the league in rushing that year, he led the league in rushing that year, yeah. you know? And if he had said, Oh, Nope, you know, we got to, I guess this guy doesn't have it. Can't trust him with the ball their offense is way different that season. And so, uh, you know, I, I like to think that Ken Walker, certainly you, you mentioned the makeup. He seems like he's got the ability to put in the work and, and improve. And I'm certainly not going to bury a 21 year old, uh, with no NFL starts, but you're right. That stuff has to get cleaned up over the next three months in order to feel really good about moving forward. I, I do wonder, you know, it came out today, Doctors and coaches expect Rashad Penny to be able to play in 2023. Uh, I would love another one-year contract with him, yeah. you know, and and insulate Ken Walker a little bit. I don't need Derrick Henry in the backfield. I don't want that. I don't want – I mean, I want the talent, of course, but I don't want the offense to be counting on, hey, count. our best player has to have the ball 30 times a game in order right. for us to – to have a chance and and with the way the offense is going i don't i don't think that's going to happen and as we look ahead now you've got a cardinals team that is very vulnerable on defense very mistake prone on offense um even so they opened as three and a half point favorites in this game uh it's since been bet down to two and a half points but in seattle that's significant i i was a little surprised by that are you um a little bit uh, yeah it was 
somebody on a show today, a uh, radio show, picked that game. And I, yeah, that was the first, like, I had heard of the spread for some reason. You know, maybe I should pay attention to things. Uh, but, uh, it, but it was already down to two and a half. And even that seemed a little surprising. But I do believe that the entire nation, and this is what Vegas plays off of, the entire nation's been giving the Cardinals a little bit too much credit all off season, As we mentioned earlier, I think they're a bit broken as an organization. And I don't think there's much trust from the players and their leader on the field, quarterback Kyler Murray. So I don't think we're facing even an average, I think we're facing an average opponent at best on Sunday. Um, And so this is a game you can get. Um, It absolutely is a game that you can get. And so, you know, if they're going to give me points on that, um, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll take that. To, I'll take that for sure. But you know, if we end up, you end up three and three on on Monday, and Gino has another good game, and we just see the slightest improvement, just some, something of significance on defense. You know, what happens to the narrative on Monday? What are we talking about in terms of how to proceed with projecting where this team could go uh, this year? Um, six games we're now that's like embarking on we're not talking like small sample size anymore we're talking about a third of the season is done and we're a 500 team tied for first place potentially yeah i know it i know it uh i always try to remind myself that the first half of the year opinions about the team just change so wildly week to week you know the optimism meter so much you know denver makes that kick in week one we're feeling way different you know they the close loss to the Falcons becomes a win. We're feeling way different. Uh, Taysom Hill doesn't get that last touchdown on Sunday. We're feeling much different. And so, you know, it's it's something where I'm just kind of rolling with it at this point. But one of the things I try and think about with each game is, okay, if Seattle does win, how will they have done it? If you woke up Monday morning and heard that the Seahawks had beaten the Cardinals, you didn't watch the game, how would you assume that they would have done that? Um I think at some point you got to take something away from the opponent. And I don't even care how desperately or drastically that you take that element away. I mean, I, that was my key going into the saints game, put 12 guys in the box, you know, you know, forget, forget (laughs) eight. I mean, let's just try to sneak a 12th in there, try to stop something that the opponent is doing. And I wanted it to be the running game and that wasn't successful uh, whatsoever. So that's the Belichick model, right? It's Belichick model. Identify what the other team does best and sell out to take that away. And that's and when they, I, I, they beat you with their second best pitch, then so be it. But the, the, okay. So here's the trick. So what is that with the Cardinals? Cause Murray's arm is probably, you know, their best weapon. Yes. But then again, he can run. So yeah. I, what I'm going to go ahead and do, even if it's, even if it is their best pitch, uh, maybe I make myself vulnerable to Kyler Murray's passing ability, and I'm selling out to stop the run. I'm doing some, I'm taking something away from them, and if if any, if nothing else, I turn it into another point fest, and maybe yeah. our offense is operating in our passing game more effectively, more efficiently than what their offense is right now. And maybe that's the best chance to win the game. But this notion of trying to figure out the defense and being vulnerable to both run and pass and not coming up with a pass rush. um, Now you are playing, we got to win the turnover battle football in order to win the game. And I just don't think that's a place that you want to be operating in. So sell out to stop something. I'll go ahead and say the Cardinals running game. And that includes Murray's ability to run. Uh, And then if it turns into a, you know, a scoring bonanza, so be it. And maybe we can win the game that way. Yeah. I I, I think that's what it's got to be. You know, I I do think Seattle's going to have to score 30 to win. Um, I don't think this is going to look like the Broncos game or even the Falcons game that really slowed down in the second half. Yeah. Um, well, let's the put Cardinals it this way. Are... Let's put it this way. I I had to make my pick on our show for Monday, and I could pick anything in the league, college or pro. And I didn't even look at the over under for Seahawks Cardinals. I just took it. 
<laughs> you just took the yeah. over. I said, I said, yeah. I'm taking the over yeah. under on the Seahawks Cardinals. What's the number? You know, that's you. you. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the defense starts out because, you know, obviously the defense has been terrible in both halves, but the Cardinals are the lowest scoring first half team in the NFL. And if they come out and get a couple of touchdowns in the first half, um, or, you know, like every other team since week two has 17 points early in the second quarter, then I think Seattle's really in trouble. I, I do think that they're going to have to continue to count on Cardinals coming out slow and getting some wins on defense early because what we've seen in just about every single Cardinals game this year is them down by two scores at halftime and Kyler saying, fuck it, I'm – I'm going modern warfare yeah. on the rest of this game and I'm going to zoom around and make plays. And, and that's the offense, you know, uh, I think you need to put yourself in a position where that's what they have to revert to because as we saw last week, all the talent in the world, the situational awareness on that team and from their quarterback leaves a lot to be desired. And I think you need to have Arizona playing from behind late in that game uh, in order to get the kind of, impact plays that you need because if they're on schedule and doing what they want then then kyler can be really really deadly so um i i think for me it's got to be a slow start to the cardinals offense for them to really have a chance and they'll still need to score 30 i call them little sweet from the uh, diet dr pepper ads little sweet not studying the that's, the, that's the best nickname for him yet. Oh, that's great. I think that's Justin Guarini is little sweet. The guy, you remember the first American Idol? And it was like him versus Kelly Clarkson. And they Are like you made a movie from Justin to Kelly. That's him. That's Lil Sweet? Lil Sweet is Justin Guarini. <laughs> oh my gosh. Never even realized yeah. that. And he's awesome at it. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, little sweet, not worried about doing yeah. his homework. Little sweet, forgetting the downs. <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys, since it is Cardinals week, right? And, you know, we've talked about Geno a lot. Obviously, the Seahawks, you know, they've lost some games to Colt McCoy, Brett Hundley, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy again, you know, they've been slapped around by career backups enough times. And do you think that that was the thing that kind of lit the fire in Pete Carroll and John Schneider where they're like, fuck that. We're going to start winning with a career backup. And that was where Gino's career took off. Do you think that that was the impetus for all of this that's happened so far this year? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. That's, yep. that's just the answer that I was looking for. Thanks, Chuck. I Absolutely. appreciate it. <laughs> that is 100% it. Yep. <laughs> yeah okay so so chuck you made a point earlier that i like that we are still in small sample size season you know five games is still finding your footing um for most nfl teams and but you start to get past week six things begin to solidify a little bit coming into the year i predicted six wins from the seahawks i still feel pretty confident in them hitting that number seven seems in play um but what were your expectations for this team from a record standpoint coming into the season? And has that shifted at all now? I had them at seven and 10. I'm not going to come off of that number um, there. I mean, it's been a surprising year to this point. Some things I thought were going to be better have not been. Um, and that has been averaged out by some things I didn't expect to be as good as they are. Uh, Gino. Uh, for example. So I'll, I'll keep it there for different reasons, but I'll keep it there at seven and, and 10 uh, on the year, which I'm perfectly fine with. Um, yeah. You know, I know that some, and, and I don't dispute this logic, but there were some in the fan base, some at our station that were kind of open for a worse record in the national football league this year, get the number one pick. So you don't have to package your other picks in order to move up to get it. I think there are a lot of people that were sort of rooting for that, getting the quarterback of the future and moving on. Um, I, I kind of never felt the team was going to be that bad. And I certainly didn't think that Pete would operate the way to play for a top two or three pick. Uh, so maybe to their own detriment of building the future, I think they're going to win just enough games that you're not going to love the draft pick. 
Uh, but yeah, that's and okay with me. I mean, because that's I, okay with me too. I'm still that's okay with me too. As I mentioned earlier, I think this season is about identifying the pieces that you have that you have to build around. And I think because of the success of this year's draft, they've got more pieces to do that. But they just have a lot more to accumulate uh, going forward. So um, I'll go ahead and take the shot. I'll take Pete's shot at trying to make the playoffs. And who knows? Maybe he, you know, screws up and makes it. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, you, you Honestly. made it in as a wild card. But my expectation is that they fall short. You're sitting there at 7-10 and 10, uh, or 6-11, and 11, as you suggested. You're on the fringe of the top 10. The Broncos, you may get another top 10 pick out of them. And I'm okay with that package. Yeah, I am too. And, and we talk a lot about the emotional effect of losing versus winning. You've got a young team and I just think them seeing that they are good enough to win games in the NFL is more important than moving up four or five spots in the draft because let's be honest, the hit rate, even in the top 10, you are flipping a coin and you're paying a lot of money on that coin flip that you're going to get it right. And I just think that there is more benefit to be had from winning more games than there is in getting a higher pick. Um, and if you're winning more games, it probably means there are fewer holes for you to try and fill the following year. There's more flexibility in how you want to approach the offseason. I am rooting for wins every year. It's nice because if they lose, then I can console myself with, well, hey, it's an extra, you know, yeah. pick's going to be a little bit yeah. higher. But I want the wins every week because I want this team to show itself that it can win in the NFL and that it can win in the NFC West. And the players, the players have to know that they can win. And those people that you That's identify, you want yeah. to establish that. You don't want to end up being the Detroit Lions where nobody in the building thinks you'll ever win, including the players. Uh, you, you want you want to maintain that status of we win in this organization. And you got to instill that in young players. And then if you end up, as you said, you know, falling short and you're six and 11, then you have the consolation prize of the higher draft pick, which is really kind of the theory all along. And that taking Mike's theory a little bit further, that's when you take with the seventh pick overall, a backup quarterback. Yes. Absolutely. A career backup. Yes. You know, with the seventh pick overall. That's the agenda grows. We move. <laughs> yeah, man. If it if it ain't broke, you gotta you gotta lean into the successful. That's right. <laughs> and then maybe with the eleventh pick too, we take two career backups, guys Absolutely. that we've identified as being thirty to thirty fifth <laughs> best potentially in the NFL at playing quarterback. It's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, I before the season, Vegas had Seattle win total at five and a half. Um, but the juice was on the under, you know, it, it was better odds if you're taking the over and I felt five and a half felt exactly right. Uh, six and a half feels right now. I, I think if, if they went five and 12 based on what we're seeing so far, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised by that. So in, in that sense, it's encouraging. They've, they've moved up a notch in the first month of the season from where I thought they were going to be, uh, at this point a month ago. So, uh, you know, that, that part is, it makes it a little bit easier to project the success of the rebuild to see them playing the way that they have. Because again, you can turn a defense around quickly if you do it right with the right infusion of talent. And um, I think the biggest thing for me is I expected this team to be pretty boring this year. And <laughs> Are there anything but not that. And that is that that to me is most fun. I mean, all off season, I was just hammering the point. Just be interesting. If you're not going to be good, just be interesting. And they are absolutely that. And that is that is really, really exciting for me uh, as you know, certainly first as a fan and second as someone who's covering the team and, and formulating opinions on them publicly. It's it's just better to do that with an exciting team. Ninety three points two weeks ago in a game. Seventy one this past week. I mean, uh, yeah. This is just Seahawk football. 1,000 yards of offense every week. <laughs> this is That's fun, man. At least it's fun. Like, it's cool if we're down two scores to feel like the game's not over, you know? And it's not going to take some miraculous couple of drives from your quarterback to make it happen. Like, no, 
we're down a couple scores. It's okay. We can get this back. The defense, if nothing else, they're forcing turnovers uh, with the best teams in the NFL so far. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fascinating game to watch this week for sure. So incredibly opposite of the kind of season. The, the only thing that would have been more opposite, bizarro world. The only thing that would have been more opposite if we were sitting here at you know five and zero oh and had won every game by forty. You know, then yeah. You know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Wait, I mean, if we, we were if we were the champion? Eagles right now, sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, man. This is this has been absolutely like the upside down of what I expected to see, but I'm here for it. I hope it continues. Yeah. No matter how many games they win, I do. Obviously, I don't necessarily want 80 points every game, but I'd rather them be a team that is scoring 30 points, win or lose, than the team that's scoring 17, win or lose. But that's that's more of an aesthetic preference than anything else. That's just onside kick after every touchdown. Let's just really ratchet it up a little bit more. Fine with it. Two onside kicks a game. That's right. Just, <laughs> let's play the numbers. If we're going to be in a shootout, let's be in a shootout. They're going to get. They're going to get to midfield anyway. Yeah. They do on every single drive. You're so 50, let's just start them there. Get the ball back sooner, if nothing else. Our defense is on the field a lot less because your touchdown drives are only fifty yards in length, and ours yeah. are eighty. Absolutely, man. We're and then you're lowering total yards. You're just That's like right. artificially That's altering right. the Absolutely. stats. Oh, man. Absolutely. This is the numbers. formuli right, All right here. Well, we, we figured it out. That's what I came into the show hoping for is that we were going to figure out how this Seahawks team wins the Super Bowl. And I think we did it. Backup quarterbacks, onside kicks. <laughs> we're on our way, fellas. I'm in. Uh, I'm in. And, and the conversation was held here first. Nobody else That's can claim right. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, man, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to come in and chat with us. And you have been extremely gracious to me over the last few years. I always enjoy the opportunity to throw the cans on, talk sports with you. Thank you so much. All right. You're a talent, man. Uh, and Mike, you as well. This is my first exposure to Mike. Uh, you guys are fun. Uh, you do a great job. Thanks for having me on. And let's do it again sometime. Uh, we'd love that, Chuck. And, and you know, like I said, always look forward to any opportunity to, uh, whether it's here or on your show, to get together and, and, you know, rap about the Hawks, Mariners, whatever it ends up being. But before we get out of here, why don't you tell the people listening where they can find you? Uh, oh, we're at uh, Sports Radio 93.3 KJRFM. So, I mean, the, you know, uh, the heritage station of all heritage sports stations in America. Of course, we've moved to the FM side now at 93.3 KJRFM, but, uh, been around forever, and I'm lucky enough to be sitting in the morning show seat uh, from 6 to 10 Monday through Friday. And um, and so that's where you can find us, Chuck and Buck in the mornings. It's an amazing show. It's a staple for me. And uh, once again, just thrilled that you came on, shared your time, your knowledge with us. As for us, you can find us on, on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. Remember, that's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is the, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating, leave us a quick review. Everyone listening, thank you so much for your continued support of the show. We're up to nearly 100 five-star ratings on Apple, which is crazy. And please know that by doing that, as well as sharing the show on social media and with your friends, it gives us the juice to keep on doing it. We will be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Bye.